to know, to see, for it to be revealed. We were studying today at, at 11 o'clock uh, in Ephesians, and Paul is praying for the Ephesians or praying for those he's writing to and says, I'm praying that God will impart to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation so that you can fully know him. Like I said, there's an element of knowing God that you can't get to on your own. And that should be carried by us with an element of fear and amazement. I can't get this. For, for me, that's huge. Because why? As, as a person working in a church and a pastor, I began to chase education. Why? So I could teach people. So I would know what's there. And you get to something like this and you see John and Peter who are completely uneducated. Go in there impactful for the kingdom of God. And it's scary for Case because where do I find myself just in terms of life process? Much like the scribes. I was formally educated to do these things. That's terrifying for me. So again, this concept that's coming, coming out of this is there's an element that you can't educate yourself on. That God has to intervene for. It's something that we need to keep in mind as we go forward in loving God, loving people, in this whole concept of sharing the community of God and reaching out to those who don't know God. A part of our prayer must be, God, intervene for these people. There's only so far you can go in explanation and in study and in argumentation and apologetics that you can get with a person until it comes down to God has to intervene in somebody's life for them to recognize, I'm broken, I need Jesus. which should be the forefront on our minds as we pray for those people. God, please intervene. As we pray for our kids, as we pray for our family members who don't know Jesus, God, please intervene. Let me be a part of that. And so we see that, again, these men are following Jesus, and immediately he walks in and goes to the synagogue. This is where I wanted to finish tying in this Acts 4. As John and Peter set out its ministry, as they enter a town, what is the first thing they do? They go to the synagogue and they begin to teach the kingdom of God and the message of Jesus and the message of redemption. It's a very practical way in which these men took all the way back to from a boat, Jesus said, get out of the boat and follow me. I'm dropping my net. I am walking behind Jesus. And then I hear Jesus say, if you're going to follow me, you have to take a cross. You have to walk behind me. Okay, I got it. I'm now learning from you. And then John later writes in 1 John, those who claim to know Jesus are obligated to walk around the way he did. And so what do they do? They walk like Jesus did. Very practically. Where did Jesus go? Where people needed to hear a message. And so that's where they went. What did they rely on to communicate the message? They relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. It's exactly what John and Peter uh, are empowered with. And it, it, Who's writing Acts? Uh, Luke. Sorry. I drew a blank there. And Luke is, is very specific to communicate. It's the Holy Spirit working in these two men that gives them the strength, the power to stand up and speak. Here's the truth. So let's move on. Very interesting, again, this whole idea of follow me, and they begin to do that. They watch Jesus, they do what he did. It's a great lesson for us. How do I do that? Obviously, you guys aren't going to go and walk into a synagogue on a daily basis and begin to teach. That's not the concept. But you're taking away, how did Jesus live? What did he do? What were the practical things that he did? Where did he go? Who did he relate with? Who did he talk to? Who did he specifically reach out to? 
And we'll get to more of that in a second. So let's go on. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them with, as one who had authority and not as teachers of the law. Just then, or again immediately, Mark uses this, this term immediately or then. That's his transition word. He transitions through the story pieces, which probably isn't good info for you, but it's good for me because it pops off the page. So just then, or immediately, a man there in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil or unclean spirit cried out, what do you want with us? And this is another another fun one we get to talk about in terms of moving language over to our culture and how we're able to put things together. Again, as we study God's word, we have to keep in mind some things. There's a reason I wanted to do this, and I don't remember what it is now. This This sentence actually translates, what you and us. And so culturally, what do we have to do? We have to understand some things to get over Okay, here's what we're looking at in the Greek text, which I'm not trying to throw the Greek at you today, but it's a cool thing to do because it allows us to see fuller this concept of what's going on in Scripture. And so there are pieces of Scripture. We don't have all of the pieces for Americans to understand what's on the page. And so at times, we've got to understand more about culture and all those kinds of things. So this thing literally says, what you and us, which is an interesting question, right? If anybody walked up to you and said, what you and us, does that make sense? Absolutely not. Does it make sense to them in this culture? Yes. And so we have to add some things to get there, which your Bible probably says, what do you want with us? Or what is it that, what is it that you're doing here with us? This is very interesting because he goes on and says, this unclean spirit that's possessed a man says, Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is the second verbal confession of who Jesus is in chapter 1 of Mark. First you have the baptism, and the Father says, This is my Son, in who I am well pleased. And the onset of Jesus' earthly ministry begins. The second confession comes from a demon who's possessed a man. Which does another thing for us. It pulls off the page. There is an existence of reality that we can't see, that we don't understand, and we can't deal with on our own. We don't see a lot of this here in America, in our culture. However, it's very clear there's a man who is possessed by an unclean spirit. Not only is he unclean, he addresses Jesus when he walks in and he cries out, not just, hey, what are you doing here, but screams out, what you and us, what are you here for to deal with us? Have you come to destroy us? And then he says, I know who you are, the Holy One, being, holy being, someone who's possessing essential divine qualities apart from that which is human. Jesus is distinctly special. He's God with flesh on. And this demon says, I know who you are. He makes a verbal confession that you are God in flesh. And I am terrified of you. Have you come to destroy us? If we go to James and look at James chapter chapter 1 or chapter 2, it's chapter 2, it's in the faith discussion. James is writing and he says, what good is it if a man has faith and has no works? And he goes through that discussion, but he also says, the demons believe as well. You say you believe, that's fantastic. The demons do the same thing and they tremble and it's very evident right here. The unclean spirit makes a verbal confession of who Jesus is and he's terrified because he's broken and he's the enemy and he doesn't find redemption. 
the story goes on after saying, I know who you are. Jesus says to him, he said, here it says, be quiet. Jesus certainly said, come out of him. Or he says, be silent or be silenced and leave him now. It says, the evil spirit shook the man violently or he caused him to go into convulsions and came out of him with a shriek or after shrieking and after convulsing this man and shaking him violently, the spirit comes out. Again, we see Jesus walks in. There's a verbal recognition of who Jesus is. It's very clear he knows who Jesus is. And he even says it. And Jesus responds to him, shut up and get out of him. Then he shows a quick display or a fit of power he has over the man, shakes him around, maybe slaps him on the floor some, I don't know, screams, and then he comes out of the man. You have a verbal confession, you have Jesus responding, you have the demon obeying. Does the demon find redemption in Jesus? No. There is more than just, I'm recognizing who Jesus is. To knowing God. It's very clear from this story. Which takes us back to Jesus saying, if anybody wants to follow me, if anyone wants to come after me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and walk in the footsteps behind me. There is an aligning yourself with Jesus that comes with entering in a relationship with him. We go back and we look at the prodigal son, Luke 15, which is a story that Jesus tells that communicates God's love. And he tells of two brothers. He tells of an older brother and a younger brother. The younger brother goes to his father and says, what? Hey, I want all my money right now as if you were dead. Please give me that. I'm going to leave. Communicating, I'd rather you be dead, dad. Please give me my money now. And so dad says, okay. He gives him his inheritance. The boy takes it. A couple days later, he leaves and skips town. He goes to another country. And he says he goes off and just parties it up and spends all of his money. And he gets to a point where he has no money and there's a famine in the land. And then what does he do? He goes and he gets a job as a pig farmer. And he doesn't make enough money to the point where his stomach is full and he's wanting to share food out of the trough with a pig. And if you're telling this story to a Jewish person, they are saying, this is completely unclean. Not only are you in a Gentile nation, but you're also a pig farmer, which pigs are unclean. Not only are you now farming pigs that are unclean, you're wanting to eat with the pigs out of the pigs eating utensils. Who are unclean, their food's unclean, and their utensils unclean. You're unclean totally. You're jacked up. Like, this is a screwed up son. This is bad parenting right here. You need to go to parenting seminar because you missed it, Dad. That was funny, right? <laughs> and so what does the son do? It says that the son recognizes that my, my father's servants are in a better position than I am. They are full. They are well clothed. They are taken care of. If my father would only take me back as a servant, and what does he do? He gets up. Literally, it says he gets up out of the mud. I don't know if it says mud or not. I didn't study that one. I'm sorry. But he gets up, and he begins to walk back and go back to dad. And upon seeing his son in the distance, the dad lifts his skirt or his robe and takes off running to meet his son. And the whole story is told to communicate God loves you. God made you. You're broken, and he wants to redeem you. And that's through Jesus. However, 
there's an element of aligning yourself with the dad. The son is in the midst of the Gentile nation with the pigs in the pig slop, in the pig trough, in the whole uncleanliness of the whole deal. The father still loved him. The father wanted to take care of him. The father wanted to feed him and clothe him and bring him into his home and have him as his own and put his ring on him and kiss him on the cheek and do all of those great things. He could not do so until the son got up and went home. He had to make a move to dad. He couldn't just sit and say, man, I wish I was back home. Dad was right. Again. He had to get up and he had to go. In the same way, as Jesus calls these men, get out of the boat and follow me. They have to get out of the boat and they have to follow Jesus. As he says, you have to deny yourself, you have to take up your cross and you have to walk in the steps behind me. You have to do it. As John says, those who say they know God are obligated to live and walk around the way Jesus did. We have to do it. Again, it's, it's not an earning concept. It's not you're working your way. You've got a list of things you have to do to check off to know Jesus. That's not it. Because you find redemption, you find correction, you find fixing and forgiveness because God died for you. We celebrate communion because Jesus gave himself so that we could know him. But to respond to that, you've got to align yourself. You can't just make a recognition. Yeah, I think that's cool. Yeah, I agree with the whole Jesus thing. You've got to align yourself with. You've got to recognize, I'm broken. I need God. And you've got to move in that direction. And so the story goes on. Actually, it doesn't go on, but I'm going to wrap it up here. The people were amazed. Again, this concept of there's there's a fear element that is with this amazement, but Mark shifts and he uses a different term. The first amazement is one that carries a concept of fear. But then the next one he uses is one that is caused by an event that's taken place in front of your eyes. And obviously the situation is different because Jesus walks in and begins to teach and they see and they hear Jesus teaching and they recognize this man has authority unlike those who are educated. Who are well educated. And this causes amazement and fear. And then the possessed man who's been hanging out here gets up and begins to scream out and makes a confessional that I know that you are the one who who has divine essential qualities, unlike all of us who are human. You're the holy one of God, and Jesus says, Shut up and get out of him, and he does. Now an event has happened that is outside of their experience, that is outside of their understanding, and they are terrified because they've seen this take place. And after that it says, the people were so amazed that they asked each other and they began to to dispute with each other, what is this, a new teaching and with a new authority? And he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him 
News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. There are two things that are going to happen if you follow Jesus. If you say, I'm denying myself, I'm picking up a cross, and I'm going to walk behind him, there's going to be an element of fear, and there's going to be an element of controversy that are going to take place in that event or through that process. When we decide, I am going to walk the way Jesus did, I'm going to be obedient to what God has told me to do, regardless of circumstance, situation, position, how it's going to affect me, it's going to make you vulnerable. You are going to see, experience things that are scary. I don't mean like Halloween scary and, well, you, you know. But there are going to be things that you encounter, you experience that you are not going to understand. Whether that's through studying scripture, that, that's through dealing with people, whatever it is, there's an element of fear. And I don't mean we have to be scared, but there's something bigger than you are when you're following Jesus. There's a sense of amazement that comes with this idea, this idea, this concept in a recognition. Wow, I'm just a man. And I'm in relationship with God and being used by, that should carry an element of fear. Of the weight that that carries and what we're involved in. Not only that, but this idea of controversy that comes into play which is how I wanted to wrap this up. As Jesus said, deny yourself, walk behind me. And then Jesus goes and does that. They follow him. They see what he does. They see where he goes. And then John says, those who know Jesus are obligated. Those who claim to know Jesus are obligated to live the way he did. Where was Jesus? Jesus was with those who were broken. He talked about Matthew being called from the tax collector booth. Matthew was a traitor of his own countrymen. They hated him. Why? Because he made money off of them. He was wronging his countrymen. Why? Because he could take whatever he wanted. Same thing with Zacchaeus. We've got multiple stories about tax collectors who have their own term as tax collectors. There are the sinners. There are the tax collectors. They are hated. Who does Jesus eat with? The sinners and the tax collectors. Who does he not eat with? The well-educated. Which, again, should be terrifying for case. If Jesus shows up, who's not knocking on my door to have lunch? Yeah. I just spit on you. I'm really sorry. You didn't know it. Is a curveball. Oh. I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. But there's an element of controversy that comes with following Jesus. If you truly are going to deny yourself and drop it all and say, I'm going to follow Jesus, you're going to be in a position of controversy. And sometimes that can happen right here inside this community. There are things that we have to do, that we're obligated to do. That When John writes and says, if you claim to know Jesus, you have to love people, you can't hate them. And you have to walk around the way Jesus is. The word he uses is as heavy as the obligation of sin. Which I'm sure most of you understand. When we sin, we're then obligated to pay a penalty of death that Jesus has to die for. That same obligation is then communicated as John writes and says, if you claim to know Jesus... You're now obligated in the same way you were to sin now to Jesus to live the way he's called you to. It's not a, it's not a suggestion. It's not a request. This is it. It's almost like there are white sheep, there are black sheep. There are no gray sheep. It's cut and dry. Which I, I know the lines get, get moved and it's hard to see. Whatever. I'm sorry. But there's an element of controversy that comes with I'm going to do what Jesus did. When you go and you sit down with the tax collector 
in 21st century America, they're not called tax collectors. Their sons who have run away from home, their sons who have beat their mothers or stolen money and done drugs to the point of, you know, multiple facilities and different things. There are people who are broken that you sit down and eat with. There are people who are outwardly homosexual who say, this is who I am. You can take it or leave it. I don't care. The people that we don't put ourselves in position to go and sit with are those who are well-educated in seminary. Why? Because most of us are pretty jacked up. But we don't know it. You're going to put yourself, you have to put yourself in position. You have to be open to love people the way Jesus did. And if that makes you mad, guess what? Jesus doesn't care. There was, there was a controversy that came up not too long ago I was, I, when I was speaking. It was something that I shouldn't have done when I communicated what I did. And I didn't do it well and I didn't communicate well. But some things came out of that that were really convicting for me. And very apparent for me and very clear to me on what Jesus did for us. And in that argument, a statement was made to me. And I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but there was a statement that was made. And I'm not going to argue this. And everything has been fixed. And we have... The, the parties who were involved in this have sat down and loved each other and hugged each other. We're now all open and in family and community, and it's all fantastic. Nobody's upset. But what this did was push me in what I believe about Jesus and what he did. A statement was made to me that Jesus would never change himself for anybody. God put on flesh. He changed himself and became one of us. We are all broken to the point of a homosexual. We're all both broken to the point of a son who is left, who is me. We're all broken to the point of a man who is a pedophile. We're all broken to the point of someone who's a murderer. We're all broken. We don't carry the same weight of all of these sins. I understand that because of just life and all those things. There are different things that go with that. And I'm not saying that all sin is on the same level. I'm saying we're all broken. We're all enemies of God. And God looked at it and said, I'm going to put on flesh. I'm going to become one of you. God went and did something and became something he was not. It never should have had to be so that we could know him. God sat down with you and me. God forbid we don't do that with other people who are broken. We are obligated to reach out to those who are broken. We are obligated to love those who are not loved. And if people around us don't like it, it can't matter. And that's difficult. But it comes with deny yourself, follow Jesus. Walk the way that Jesus did. It carries an element of fear, of amazement, of weight, and controversy. But we get to be involved in what God is doing. We get to be a part of something bigger than we are.
And so as we study through here, and again, this whole idea, Mark is communicating the divinity of Jesus. And in this story, he's showing. God shows up. We, We started in Malachi to get here. And the question was, where's the God of justice? God, where are you? And we ask that same thing at times. I sit down with students on a regular basis as I share the gospel and they say, God is not involved. I don't believe in God because look at my life. It's broken. How can God be real? And they ask the same thing. Where's the God of justice? And Mark answers with, he's right here. And he defends the fact that Jesus is God and he communicates to those he's writing to. This Jesus is the Holy One sent of God. Follow Him. Let's pray. Dear God, I come to you now and just thank you for another chance to come together to worship, uh, to love you. God, we thank you so much for dying for us, for becoming us so that we can know you. God, we pray for opportunities this week to step outside ourselves. God, to be used by you, to be used to reach our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, uh, and those we don't know. Uh, those that other people will not reach out to God. We pray that you will give us opportunities. I pray that you will give me an opportunity uh, this week to do that. We pray that you'll give us the strength uh, to be able to do that, the, the encouragement. Give us the words we need to know, God. Again, we just thank you for your love and the fact that we get to know you and your forgiveness. Help us to remember to recognize to worship you for that consistently, God. We praise you and thank you. Amen.